This, this is the Our Auto Expert Podcast. Find us on air, online, on mobile, and on your smart speaker. Please subscribe at ourautoexpert.com. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Now, here's the host of Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Nick Miles. Locally created, nationally celebrated from the northwest to the southeast, this is America's Car Radio Show. If it has a throttle, we'll feature it on air, online, on mobile, or on smart speaker. This is our auto expert. I'm your host, Nick Miles, along with truck girl Jen. How long have we been doing this show? Oh, well, you started it before I did, and I've been with Seven you. years was the answer. I was looking for not like a full paragraph explanation. Well, you and I have been together for seven years. Didn't you right. have the show before me? Uh, yeah, I've been on the radio since 1996. Yeah. Wait, no. I've been on the radio since. Yeah, let me do this. Oh, here's the paragraph Easy. coming for you guys. I'm, I'm, I'm using all my fingers to add up here. I've been on the radio since the 80s, like like a million years. Anyway, <laughs> um, this morning we had coffee at my house. Mm-hmm. We went to Starbucks. Yes. And we got coffee here. Yeah. And you're using napkins to do dances in the studio you know me, I always jump around before the show. Yeah, I know. I'm just telling you, it's tough. COVID-19 is going on, you know, so settle down. No. <laughs> How long have you known me, Nick? Yeah. I always bounce around before the show. Yeah, you're Get just energetic. A, a little too energetic for me this morning. What are auto companies doing for COVID-19? We're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about that today because uh, GM making ventilators. There's a lot going on. Uh, we're also going to get into uh, talking about some interesting ideas. If you thought you might want to live off the grid, then we'll be able to do that. Uh, living off the grid, outside, in your car, outdoors. Uh, Brian Dorr going to join us to talk about the uh, the opportunity to actually live in your car. He's a he's an adventurer and an explorer, and he provides tips and tricks uh, to make you sure you're safe in your car out in the wilderness. Sometimes I just want to get away from it all. Uh, as a relief to COVID-19, the Alfa Romeo, uh, Julia, is one of my favorite vehicles. And Alfa Romeo are celebrating 110 years, a big milestone for them, with uh, the Julia GTA. Stephen Richards will explain uh, what's new for that vehicle. And also, going fast really helps me forget about horrible things in the world. Chevrolet <laughs> announcing a new Traverse for 2021. Uh, Shad Balch going to join us to talk about that and what's new at Chevrolet. Uh, the GLS 63. This is the largest one of the most powerful, I think, 603 horsepower SUVs around there. David Burkeholt. Am I saying it right? Burkeholter? Burkhalter. Burkhalter? Mm-hmm. Uh, David is going to join us from AMG to talk about what's with that vehicle. And Anton Woolman here to talk about how the auto industry is responding to COVID-19. And also to tell us what's going on outside of COVID-19 with companies. It's a packed show. I have uh, I have had some relief from the COVID-19 uh, <laughs> conundrum that everybody is in by the bright yellow vehicle that's sitting in the parking lot, the Lexus GSF. One of the last GSFs they're going to ever make. Uh, the GS is an old design from Lexus, and so they gave it the F treatment. The yellow thing is... The F treatment? Yeah. Okay. Fast. Yeah. Yeah, GSF. Um, they gave it the F treatment. Uh, it's a V8. It's a rear-wheel drive. It got a bit smelly in the parking lot, didn't it? Yeah. 
That's cool. the one thing that they need to work on is to, you know, keep the smells on the outside of the vehicle. We did a burnout. I'm getting eyebrow raises from through the glass. Oh, we, did a, we did a dirty burnout in the parking lot. Big so time. If you come to the radio station and you see big tire marks in one parking space, sorry. Just yeah. blame Nick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at least the blacktop's still there. I did that at Fox uh, Studios. I did a burnout in the parking lot mm-hmm. during live television. They just had a new blacktop on the back. <laughs> they didn't pay. I don't think they paid a company uh, the right amount of money because there was chunks missing. When I- oh, are you serious? Yeah. It wasn't like totally set or something? I just I can't or? see any burnout marks in the parking lot. I'm sure they're there. Well, when you pull out, we'll see. Uh, when I of pull the out, you might space. want to film it. Yeah, <laughs> you might want to film it. On the other end of the scale, I've been driving the Nissan Kicks, which is it's uh, cute. It's, it's their smallest SUV. Mm-hmm. I will tell you after the <laughs> so I have both cars, right? So one one sits in one space in my. I have thirteen parking spaces I in know. my driveway, and one sits in one space and one sits in the. Well, I'm a car guy. Like my house is tiny. And I have 13 parking spaces. I pay more for my parking spaces <laughs> than I do for my house. I'm and then a car I, guy. Have, I have my own priority spot at, Where, your, at your place. Oh, yeah. You park in the same place. Yep. At the very end. So, so I have 13 parking spots. And so I have a bunch of vehicles. Some are in the shop right now, but I have a bunch of vehicles parked out there. Some have covers on them, that sort of thing. But I drove out. I drove, drove the GSF, just drove it around. I had to go pick Joey up from the vet. And so uh, picked him up for the vet. And brought him back. Yeah. Jen's like, why is there little paw prints on the back seat? <laughs> You're not supposed to have your dog in the press car. I was like, oh, God, I know. I'll clean it. Um, so I, I took Joey to the vet. I uh, took him back from the vet. And then I jumped in the Nissan Kicks to do, I think I go shopping for my parents or so. I, and I'm just trying to put miles on these cars and test drive and that sort of thing. So I uh, I drove that. I was like, "What? This thing's so underpowered." I'm like, "So nothing's happening." I'm like, putting my foot down, trying to go. It's me. That's like a Ferrari versus a. It's a little four smart car. Well, the engine's about (laughs) a engine's less than half the size. I know that's what I'm saying. So that's nearly 500 horsepower. That's that's not a fair comparison. (laughs) I think the 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 kicks is like under 200, so way under 200. So it was. Yeah, yeah. It was just like, oh, hi, right, come on. I'll be there in uh, three months. <laughs> it was like a ship voyage versus, versus a jet fighter. And and look at the price ratio. They're just completely different, Nick. Yeah. You can't compare those two. Yeah. So I'm escaping with the GSF. It's allowed me to escape my life. Mm-hmm. This big V8 has uh, Michelin P40 tires Well, it on. did. It, had, yeah. it has some tread left on it. <laughs> Minimal tread. Legal. Still legal. Um, and then the Nissan Kicks, which, by the way, I, I think it's under twenty thousand dollars starting. It's a pretty good deal for that, it especially is. the safety features on it: collision mitigation, uh, Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, all are standard, by the way, which I think is. And it comes in some pretty cool colors. It does. Do you like having a different roof color from the rest of the car? I do. I like when they black that out and then put the color on the side. My favorite version of that is it depth. We we did the launch in San Diego when mm-hmm. they launched the vehicles. It was in San Diego. And so the, my favorite version of that vehicle is the one that is this sort of light blue with the white roof. Oh, you it like the white very, roof? very, very San Diego. I like white. Yeah. I like white roof. They, you know who started to do that? Who was one of the first companies to do that? Volkswagen? No. Uh, recently. I mean, the people have done it since the 40s oh. and 50s. Well, that's I mean, you know, convertibles had a different mm-hmm. roof. The, one of the people that did it for the first time in modern era was Toyota with their uh, SUVs. 
They put uh, the the uh, where's it? The cruiser. Not the cruiser. What, what am I thinking of? Hang on. The SUV. Yeah, they did it with their SUVs. <laughs> the white wrist. All right. More show coming up. We're going to talk about living out of your car next. <laughs> You're listening to our auto expert. Catch up with previous episodes of the show on our website, ourautoexpert.com. You can hear all the past shows, see automotive videos, and read the latest in-car stories about your next ride. You'll find it all at ourautoexpert.com. Right now, many Americans might be thinking that they want to get away from all this craziness. Maybe you want to live off of the grid, get out of the big city, and find a place to hang out in the wilderness. Well, we have some sound advice for you. Uh, Brian Dorr joining us on the phone. He's an outdoor adventure guy, uh, and he has some tips for uh, living out of your car. Do do, do people in crisis, do you think, uh, Brian, and you may not know the answer to this, but in crisis, do you think people just have had enough and they'll pile stuff into their cars and take off? I kind of hope not. I think the way to kind of get everybody together on this is to stay home at the moment. But um, getting out and uh, disappearing in your car is definitely enticing. Uh, I'm not going to lie, I would love to, but... I think staying home is the right answer. I uh, I think my dogs get pretty fed up about staying in the backyard all the time. I mean, I walk them and stuff, but I think they want to get out to the dog park. And of course, that I don't want them mingling with other dogs because they'll tran- they can transfer it off of their fur to each other. Um, when you get ready for uh, you know living out of your vehicle as an adventure, um, do you have a long shopping list of things that you have to go buy, or do you just pack sort of versions of what you have around the house? Um, the reality is most of the stuff most people have around the house. Myself, I have all of it here, honestly. Um, I've only been living under a roof now for about a year. I lived full-time on the road for nearly seven. So I've got all the little gadgets and widgets that might make life on the road a little easier. Well, the seven years on the road. So give us a synopsis of what you did and where you went. Oh, man. Uh, I lived here in Oregon, ran a big outdoor store in Portland, um, and then kind of got fed up with my job. had three people younger than me pass away from some random ideas, uh, good friends that passed away from some random uh, occurrences in under six months. And I was like, life's too short for this. So I hit the road and uh, became a full-time photographer and journalist. Uh, Big sportsmobile 4x4 van to start with. And then I built a full custom expedition camper on a uh, Dodge Ram chassis with a diesel in it. Um, And then lived in both of those for about seven years. And then recently just built a GX460 um, that I can live and travel in as well. But it's a little more off-road capable, a little more uh, manageable as a daily driver than the big camper. That's what I have, a GX460. So uh, maybe maybe you can give me some... good vehicles. They are. And I I bought it. I, I had Land Rovers before that. And the thing with Land Rovers is they're pretty, they're amazing vehicles. They can do amazing things. But when they get old, they are a pain in the backside. <laughs> I, uh, you know, just like yep. one week the oxygen sensors, the next week the battery. It was little things, but, uh, you know, little things that had to be taken care of. And with the GX, I can go out to my garage. I've been out, all, you know, it's been in the garage the whole summer. I can go out the first uh, bad weather, hit the start button, and six months later, ba-boom, it fires up and I can drive it out. That's, that's what I love about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. All right. Yeah, I've played with Land Rovers and Land Cruisers all over the globe, and, yeah, it's the same thing. The Land, the land Cruiser maybe. Maybe it doesn't have quite as much passion behind it as that, that Land Rover, but it turns on and does the job every time you want it to, which is 
key to getting out there for sure. I'm getting too old to fix cars all the time. I like them to work, you know, and okay. once I fixed it, uh, stay the same way. What sort of thing, what precautions uh, and items do you need to survive outdoor if you're living out of your car? So run through the basics. I mean, your food is a, is sure. a big thing. So presumably you have to have sort of some sort of portable food preparing area, cooking, whatever you might want to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Basic kitchen is always key um, for that scenario. Um, I always tend to bring like a single burner butane stove because the fuel's cheap and easy to get kind of anywhere. The stoves are really, really cheap. I think you can get them as like 12 bucks on Amazon. You find them even in some um, grocery stores. A lot of chefs use them when they travel and do stuff. Uh, 12 volt fridge is a great way to go. Um, coolers are kind of a pain cause you got to fill them with ice and you can't be off grid very long when you got to keep coming back for ice. Right. So a 12 volt fridge that you can run off your car's battery is a great way to go. Um, and you can run that off solar. So you have a small solar panel. You can run that 12 volt fridge for quite a while in most climates here in the Pacific Northwest where it's always cloudy, a little less so, but it's all good here as well. Wait, wait. How much can you? How much can you put in that fridge? Because I feel like it's maybe two cans of beer and it's full. No, it depends on the fridge. Uh, my fridge in my last camper, I could put um, four cases of bottled beer and a week's worth of food for two people at all times. All right, I'm so, sold. That was a bit, that was a big fridge though. I have a smaller fridge now in my GX. It's a little more usable for most small SUVs and small pickups. And, you know, a case and a half of a beer and a week's worth of food, no problem. Uh, beer is very necessary. Although I guess you could just stick it in the stream and have it cool off. That sort of, maybe vodka. You could, get, you could actually get more, uh, more alcohol in a smaller space with vodka. Um, does that v- come vodka with Vodka or bourbon? All right, bourbon. Whichever, whichever you prefer. I'm a gin guy personally. But. <laughs> okay, I'm a margarita girl, so you have to have the blender. <laughs> the 12-volt blender. This, this is where it all falls apart, <laughs> Brian. This is... I, I do have one, I'm not going to lie, but I haven't used it much. <laughs> this is where it all falls apart. Jen has to have certain things in her life. and you know, Do you have to have an espresso machine, Jen? No, I have a Keurig. <laughs> Most of us grind beans with our teeth and then spit them into a thing and put hot water on them. Mm. That's how it works. Yeah. Uh, uh, Bri- <laughs> Brian, where would you find a fridge to go in your vehicle? Where, you just Google mobile fridges or something on Amazon? Yeah, I'm, I mean, they're pretty popular these days. Um, I I think REI Online even carries them, but uh, Cabela's and places like that definitely carry them. Um, Dometic is one of the main manufacturers out there, and they're really easy to find on Amazon and for a great price. But a lot of the overland industry people, you can find um, a huge variety of them these days. One of the best is National Luna out of South Africa. They're imported from South Africa. They just are really, really efficient. They look great. And the price came way down about a year and a half ago. So equipped expedition outfitters out of Salt Lake City imports those. And uh, it's a great buy. And I got one of those right now in my GF. Excellent. Um, so we got covered stove. We cover refrigerator. Uh, sleeping. Yep. So it's just a sleeping bag or do you, do you have a blow-up mattress in the back? I mean, you've got to make sure you, you fit into the back of a vehicle. Absolutely. It totally depends on how you have it set up. In my GX, I have a basic sleeping platform built in there. Um, and with that, I just use a camping uh, inflatable self-inflating pad and a nice, warm, comfortable sleeping bag with a sleeping bag liner. And then I just bring my house pillow, honestly, because in a vehicle, space matters and weight matters, but a, a pillow is kind of nice. A good night's sleep will uh, save you a lot of hassles on the road. Uh, and then what are some of the things that people neglect to, to do, take care of? I mean, I think water and fuel are probably important things. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, water, you can do a ton of different ways. Depends on how far off the grid you're trying to get. Uh, I have a jerry can made by Lifesaver. It's got a little pump on it, and it has a full filtration. It's a military-grade um, filtration system, so you can pump it up, put some pressure in it, use it for a shower, use it to clean off your dishes, but also drink water out of pretty much any source out there. So you can just fill it with clean water, or you could fill it from a dirty stream and still be able to drink it if you really needed to in the middle of nowhere. Oh, um, all right. Yeah. That, that don't, yeah. Nobody wants water. No one wants anything nasty in their water. No, no, definitely not. And then, and then GXs, as you know, suck fuel like crazy. Yes. A lot of, and, and, and a lot of Land Rovers. So bringing a little extra fuel is great. There's a ton of ways to do that. A great way I found recently is there's a, a fuel bladder that's fully uh, DOT approved from um, Giant Loop is the name of the company. They make them mostly for motorcycles, but it's actually like a, uh, a bag that you put fuel in. And you can strap it to the outside of your vehicle. It's super durable. Or you can store it indoors because it's fully sealed. Um, and it rolls up and packs super, super small when it's not when it's not in use. So that's we, a great way to go instead of having to strap big jerry cans and stuff to the outside of your rig. A sacco fuel. Um, all right. So when <laughs> yeah. uh, when are you taking off for your next adventure? Oh man. Well, things have slowed down, as you know, <laughs> um, with with the uh, coronavirus and whatnot. So uh, I actually ha- I'm jealous of you doing burnouts and uh, being well caffeinated <laughs> this morning. I, I I've been in a vehicle for a week, week and a half now, which is uh, making me a little antsy for sure. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, I got some big trips this summer for sure to go um, do some big adventuring here in the Northwest and uh, hopefully out in Colorado as well. I'm hoping to do a big loop from uh, Moab into Colorado and back. Um, there's basically, I think I can pull it off. It'll be like 150, 200 miles Ooh, all dirt nice. um, on, on a motorcycle probably. Oh, super oh, nice. Sure. Brian, where can we read more about your stuff? Yeah, exploringelements.com is uh, my main website and all the social media associated with Exploring Elements. And then I write a lot for gearjunkie.com, so keep an eye on there for uh, really hot stuff because I'll get all the hot news out on uh, gearjunkie.com. All right, sounds fun, Brian. Thanks for telling us how to live a little bit off the grid in your vehicle. Coming up, more Our Auto Expert as we continue our show. You're listening to the Our Auto Expert Podcast. Our auto expert is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can start a conversation with us, ask a question, direct messages at Our Auto Expert on your chosen social media platform. All right, so what's going on in the world? It looks like uh, General Motors have been ordered by President Trump to make ventilators for coronavirus patients. After attacking the car giant, the chief executive has now ordered them to do that. He invokes the Korean War-era Defense Production Act, which allows the presidential uh, authority to force companies to make products for national defense. Mr. Trump said that GM was wasting time and the action was needed to save American lives. The U.S. now has 104 cases of the virus uh, going up. It could be changing as we talk with nearly uh, 2,000 fatalities uh, from the coronavirus 19, corona- COVID-19 uh, virus. So here's the deal. GM response to that was, we're already doing this. So I, I'm not really sure whether this is President Trump. Uh, exaggerating or General Motors exaggerating, but at the same time, ventilators are going to be made. 
which uh, sounds good. And other car companies are responding to the COVID-19 situation where they're trying to help everybody with changing things, including Chrysler brand. They're expanding their partnership with No Kid Hungry to help provide up to 10 million meals for hungry kids. Chrysler's first partner with No Kid Hungry in 2018 to help their goal of ending childhood hunger with each Pacifica sold from now through the end of the school year. Chrysler, which is probably over anyway, Chrysler will donate enough to provide up to 500 meals to kids in need with the goal of providing up to 10 million meals as the brand focuses on making life easier for families. Beginning in the uh, beginning, in the middle of this month, the Chrysler, uh, Chrysler is now introducing the family pricing for uh, these vehicles as well, doing 0% financing for 60 months on every 2020 model year Chrysler Pacifica for a limited time. No payments for 90 days is also available on gasoline-powered Pacifica models. I like that. I think that that's something positive. And, uh, you know, people who are losing their jobs are being furloughed. Worst unemployment figures for forever, uh, I think, for the United States. Now Chrysler stepping in to try and make sure no kid goes hungry. So that's that's good, too. Um, the, you know, Chrysler first partnered with them in 2018. And I think it was Tim Kaniskas, the head of Global Alfa Romeo and the head of Passenger Cars, um, who was really spearheading this. No kid goes hungry. So I, I like that idea. Uh, Hyundai doing something similar. They're also helping kids out with uh, one of their programs. Uh, people just trying to make sure that uh, kids, you know, don't go hungry. People can pay their rent. Ventilators are made, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So <clears throat> I have a fun fact for you. Okay. This is not the first time that Ford and GM has helped out. Do you know what they built in the past? No. Okay, so Ford built heavy bomber airplanes. Oh, yeah, so Second World War we're going back, mm-hmm. right? Okay. And GM built amphibious asphalt crafts. So um, Ford, GM, Toyota, and Tesla, which have all temporarily shut down, have all offered to help out and make ventilators. So it's not just GM. It's it's going to be, looks like across the board. I think one automakers. of the things that GM was helping out with is because it's such a huge company, they have mm-hmm. a great acquisitions department so they can go around the world and find parts, which, you know, we obviously need parts in these times, uh, making ventilators. It's usually limited by what parts that these manufacturers can get. And so they're actually using their massive acquisition platform to make parts, uh, to, to help find parts and to help ship parts. Um, I don't think it's so much making stuff. Um, they're not using what would normally be pressing car metal uh, suddenly to make car parts but at the same time using the power of acquisition of transport those type of things listen these guys who were delivering cars out of the factory on trucks uh, could now be delivering parts so they're utilizing what they have Mm -hmm. the systems they have to now turn it around and help make ventilators which i think is a great idea ventilators is just one of the things we need masks those type of things. I even Fred, uh, a friend of mine, Chad, uh, went and bought 10 um, 3D printers so he could make the helmets that have the face masks on for hospital workers. And so he's got a third-party company that's going to make the face mask. He's just making the plastic helmet so people can have the well, plastic helmet. And did helmet. you hear also that all the medical shows that we watch, like Grey's Anatomy, for example, they took and donated all their medical equipment because they use real medical equipment yeah. from the show and donated all of that to. I help was out. saved by a ventilator from Grey's Anatomy. 
Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> well, they said yeah. some of them can cost up to fifty thousand yeah, dollars for one expensive. ventilator. So it's not something. That's it's expensive. Uh, the yeah. the German company that makes uh, a large majority of the ventilators uh, said the U.S. have ordered a hundred thousand, which is what they produce in a year. So they, wow. These guys are definitely trying to ramp up production. That's how car companies are helping with the current COVID-19 crisis, making ventilators, making sure that people have enough to eat, and also doing as much good as possible. Still to come on our show, we're going to talk to Stephen Richards. He is from Alfa Romeo. We're going to find out about the Julia. You're listening to Our Auto Expert. Are you thinking about changing your car? Read some of our reviews. They are informative. You'll find them at ourautoexpert.com. Plus, see videos that we've made about the newest tech, the latest cars, and you can even download the Nation's Car Radio Show. You'll find it all at our ex- ourautoexpert.com, which is our website. Uh, I will tell you that quite often like to escape uh, some of what's going on in the news and have a bunch of fun driving very cool cars. And one of my favorite is the Alfa Romeo Giulia. Stephen Richards joining us on the phone. He is the product manager for the Alfa Romeo Giulia. Uh, first of all, let me just say, are you able to get out and drive these vehicles or are you quarantined at home? <laughs> We're out. We're staying at home for now, but uh, are able to go outside here in Michigan. So uh, not quite complete uh, quarantine just yet. But I think uh, social distancing, well, if you're in your car, I mean, to me, that's still social distancing. I know that we have uh, some roads out here that go into some beautiful rivers. And th- thinking that we'd escape to those rivers, you know, to get out of the house because everyone was at home, every single person where I live had the exact same idea. And the roads were absolutely jammed. So I'm sure the even, even though the weather's probably not that great in Michigan, I'm sure uh, in the Upper Peninsula or towards the lake area that there's still an awful lot of people uh, getting out there on the weekends and just driving to try and get out the house and break the monotony. If you were to do that, Stephen, what would you drive? Oh, absolutely, a Julia Wonderful. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you answered that way. Uh, of course. This Listen, it's one of my favorite vehicles. I was at the original launch in Napa Valley when you uh, unveiled this vehicle, uh, when you did the drive of the Quadrifoglio in, in Napa Valley. Uh, it seems to be that you hit the mark at Alfa Romeo that many automakers have been trying to hit. You managed to get there with this vehicle. What makes it different from the average sports sedan? I mean, it goes up against the BMW 3 Series uh, maybe the five, depending on what size you look at. But this vehicle seems to nail it much better than many people who have tried to get this benchmark. Yeah, no, I, I think it's absolutely down to the engineers in, in Italy, the designers in, in Turin. Um, this car really is a good mix of, the, of design and also performance. I mean, those are our two major pillars for the brand. Um, and Driving the car, what you really feel is the underpinning of the Giorgio platform. So designed from the beginning as a top-down uh, uh, performance chassis. So was designed specifically to be first the Giulia Quadrifoglio and then be cascaded down into the entry-level entry level models and powertrain. So for our competitors, usually start from a series production car and then add pieces in order to make it faster, stronger, better. Uh, we actually started from the top and cascaded all that content down. And a good example of that on the on the Julia Nostelvio is the standard carbon fiber drive shaft. So typically something you find in a high-performance 
uh, car, sports car, mid-engine supercar. We had it in our series production uh, mid-size sedan and SUV. It's uh, just one of the many things that the engineers in Italy uh, really built into this car so that it was first and foremost a performance vehicle. And I think it speaks volumes about how great the platform is, this uh, platform that the Julia is built on, is the fact that such a large company like uh, FCA is looking at using this platform in many different models in its brand because it's just a great platform. Absolutely. Uh, actually, even within Alfa Romeo, too. I mean, I'm, I'm always... The Julia is an incredibly impressive vehicle, but I'm almost more impressed sometimes by the Stelvio. Um, I, I think the Stelvio is probably a better driving automobile than a lot of our mid-size sedan competition. The, the Stelvio QV is faster 0-60 to 60 than the Quadrifoglio. Um, has the same 12.0-1 steering rack uh, in it. I, 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 I would put the steering of the Stelvio up against any of my uh, competitors in mid-size sedan, so an Audi A4 or a Mercedes C-Class, I think the Stelvio is as good of a performance performance vehicle as, as the Julia. And to honor that, of course, the Automotive Video Association did choose it as its performance car of the year for 2018-19. So uh, it, it's clearly a, an amazing vehicle. Let's let's talk about some of the upgrades for the Julia for 2020. Uh, it got some new interior uh, features. Right. So for 2020, we listened to our customers and also uh, journalists and and uh, and uh, people that have reviewed the car. And you know, the original formula, as you, as you mentioned, uh, really delivered on those pillars of performance and and style and driver connectivity. But uh, for 2020, uh, we managed to add a few more premium features and made a couple of key improvements in the in the car that you really notice from the driver's seat. So the first thing is pretty much everything the driver touches is new. So steering wheels, uh, center console, all the switch gear. Uh, you have a new standard 8.8-inch touchscreen in the car, so uh, you're able to use the rotary controller uh, and also be able to interact with uh, the new user interface on the, on the screen uh, using, using touch, which is a big improvement in the user experience. You've also got uh, all new for 20 um, available level two autonomy. So that's the car in traffic uh, on the freeway uh, or on the, uh, any any street uh, is able to accelerate, stop, and keep you in the lane, uh, whether you're uh, cruising along on the on the freeway or whether you're sitting in traffic. Um, and then we've also got on Julia uh, a refreshed color palette, a uh, new anodized blue, a lunare white. Uh, which is kind of like a, I'd call it a, a, a gray metallic kind of color, really, really pops. And my favorite color, the Verdi Visconti. So the same dark green, kind of British racing green that uh, was available on Stelvio is now available on the Julia. I always know I always know what Verde is green because Verde pasta is always green. So that that's yeah. how I it has spinach in it. So it always reminds me. Oh, green Verde yeah, yeah. spinach. Uh, <laughs> let's jump. This well, you know, I have to play tricks when your mind doesn't work like like everybody else's. You have to play tricks on yourself to remember some of those things. Stromboli, love it. <laughs> so. So uh, let, let's jump back to this uh, to this autonomous level two uh, systems in it. So traffic jam assist. So you can take your hands off the wheel too, presumably if you have it in adaptive cruise control for a, a limited amount of time. Hands have to stay on the wheel, but the car is accelerating, stopping, and steering for you. All right. So if I take my hands off the wheel, what happens? 
uh, you get a little warning and you're asked to put your hands back on the wheel. And if you don't, the system will disengage. Can I hang bottles of soda on the bottom of the wheel so it thinks I'm holding it? Oh, my God, Nick. <laughs> it, it does, actually. It, it gives you a pretty good amount of leeway. I, I have to be honest. My, um, uh, you know, I'm a bit of a purist. always drove a manual transmission car. And, yes. you know, all this level two autonomy gets me a little, a little worried. But uh, we had a great uh, road trip going over to an event in Chicago. Um, personally, I, I wanted to dislike the system, but... It works great um, on a long on a long road trip. It really reduces driver fatigue, and I kind of consider it more as a, just improving your driving versus taking control for you. So an Alpha is always going to be a driver's car first and foremost, and what the Level Two autonomous system uh, does really just augments your ability. I I have to tell you that I enjoy doing that and seeing if I can trick the system into it. So uh, some car companies use the feel, sort of the, the kinetic energy from having your hand on the wheel. Some use the weight of the wheel to, to know whether you're steering, those type of things. Um, and, and I always like try to fool them. But, you know, that's just me. I'm just a bit of a nutcase. So uh, um, I'll tell you, it's amazing uh one of the things that uh, i also like about this is you guys have totally kept the the julia grill this uh, the alfa romeo grill it's been a major part of the design of this vehicle that makes it stand out and makes it not look like anybody else's uh, vehicle absolutely uh so that uh the scudetto grill we call it I actually first appeared on an Alpha, I believe, in 1942 on the 6C. So it's, you know, over over 75 years has been a uh, design staple for Alfa Romeo. And you're exactly right. It, uh, it makes the car and, and the Stelvio as well uh, really stand out in their perspective segment. Uh, if you want a special edition, there are several special edi- editions of this vehicle, including the GTA. Yeah. So we had, um, we had the N-Ring uh, last year, and then, of course, uh, they revealed in Europe the uh, GTA just last month. Uh, it was supposed to be at uh, Geneva, but ended up being a web reveal, which, yeah, is a uh, wild car. I mean, the Julia QV, if I'm being honest, the 280-horsepower, 2-liter base car that's 0 to 60 in 5.1 seconds is already a pretty wild vehicle. The Julia Quadrifoglio then steps that up to 505 horsepower and 0 to 60 in 3.8 seconds. Um, the GTA is a, a whole a whole different level of performance uh, and and a really, really, really aggressive, pure kind of alpha racing uh, uh, model. So it, we're really excited about it. Uh, which is the best to do a burnout in? <laughs> Definitely the Julia Quadrifoglio. So with... Uh, uh, the Stelvio Quadrivoid is the only way to get all-wheel drive with that 505 horsepower, 2.9 liter powertrain. Um, Which isn't—it's not good for a burnout. Mode. All-wheel drive, not good for a burnout. Just, just no, saying. It, uh, oh yeah, not good, for, not good for a burnout. Where that's where the Julia Quadrivoid in race mode um, is definitely a burnout machine. Now, there's two versions of the GTA. Is that correct? The GTA and the GTA M. Yep. So for Europe, there's the GTA and the GTA M. The GTA M. Uh, stands for modificata, so it's just the modified kind of track-oriented uh, uh, version that you're able you're able to delete the rear seats. You get a unique carbon bucket seat, uh, the the larger wing. It's it's just a little more uh, aggressive version of the car. And that, those names actually came from uh, uh, the original Julia GTA that started racing in the uh, I think in 1965, 1966, and when it came over here it was actually a 
rather successful race car uh, in Trans Am and and as a kind of a gentleman weekend race car. I, I will tell you that uh, my one of my favorite stories about Alfa Romeo is that I uh, I've been to uh, Italy twice. Once with for the reveal of the Giulia, and the other one for the reveal of the Saber Motor, uh, the Motor Racing F1 team. Uh-huh. And during that time, when they unveiled the uh, F1 team for uh, for Alfa. The uh, Sergio was still alive, and he did the press conference, uh-huh. and he came down afterwards, and it was the first time he had seen in production the Stelvio and the Stelvio Quattrofolio. And he got into it on the floor uh, in the museum where the presentations were made, and uh, he started it up. And it was a working model they just put out there for us, and he started it up. And then he stomped onto the accelerator and revved it up, to make that incredible sound in mm-hmm. the middle of the building. And awesome. all the journalists were just loving every second of it. And then his partner, um, I think it was his girlfriend or his wife at the time, I'm not sure, she came over and screamed in Italian at him through the window I and told it. him off for <laughs> filling the whole of the museum with smoke. <laughs> and, and he looked like the saddest schoolboy that had just got his knuckles smacked by it was uh, I do miss him and uh, we have him I guess to thank for a lot of stuff that happened at Alpha Uh, absolutely Uh, there's a lot there's a lot of great Sergio stories Uh, so these vehicles on sale now on sale right now and starting price of the GTA Can't, can't release that. Just can't yet. talk about future product. All right. Well, well we'll, there's we'll only have to, 500. There's only 500. Yeah. So it's not going to be uh, inexpensive, but we'll have to check back at the Alfa Romeo uh, website to make sure that we keep everybody up to date with that. All right, Stephen, thanks so much for joining us, talking about the new uh, GTA and then Julia, one of my favorite vehicles. Uh, a great drive. If you, if you looked at it and you thought it might fit nicely into your family, that is not enough. You have to go <laughs> test drive it because the drive of the Julia and the Stelvio are completely different from anything else. Coming up, we'll find out about the new Chevy Traverse. Yes, new for 2020. That's on our Auto Expert. You're listening to the Our Auto Expert Podcast. Celebrated nationally from the northwest to the southeast, this is America's Car Radio Show. If it has a throttle, we'll feature it on air, online, on mobile, or on smart speaker. This is our auto expert. I'm your host, Nick Miles, along with truck girl, Jen. Uh, I have been considering whether uh, I should be buying more SUVs or less SUVs or whether I should be getting something that I can go live off the grid in. Uh, One of my favorite vehicles out there is the one I actually own right now, which is the Lexus GX460. The GX is sort of based a little bit uh, off of the Prado, which is an Australian product or a product that's made for off-roading, heavy Uh, off-roading. A lot of people think it's based off of the Land Cruiser, but oh, they are sadly wrong. It's actually based off of the the Prada. Um, I like it because it's a very usable vehicle. Uh, It's easy to, uh, to repair. 
um, very strong. And I think that's the idea behind a vehicle that you might want to take off-road and perhaps live off the grid in. We talked to Brian Dore earlier on, who is helping us uh, look at some of the ideas of living off the grid. Uh, originally, that whole term, living off the grid, was really supposed to be something that was about not using the power that comes from your electrical company. But living off the grid is now sort of evolved into this, I want to live away from society. However, a lot of people still want the modern conveniences of a cell phone and Wi-Fi. So modern vehicles that have those sort of things installed into them uh, make it nice to be able to make phone calls and to do things like watch movies in your downtime. Although I think part of the reason for getting off the grid is to actually experience the nature of uh, our beautiful country and to get out there and explore. It doesn't really matter where you are, although you probably wouldn't want to be living off the grid in some of the colder climates, uh, those above the Mason-Dixon line where it snows quite a lot. You probably want to live somewhere or at least travel to somewhere that has much milder winters in the south. I know a lot of my friends during the COVID-19 have escaped south. I have friends that have moved to Texas and are now living on the coast in Texas uh, because they wanted to be away from the wet weather if they were going to be seconded in home an awful lot. And uh, also people who are in the middle of their vacations on their RVs are now sort of gravitating to the middle of the wilderness so they don't have to be around people to avoid uh, any possible contamination for COVID-19. A lot of car companies responding well. Uh, companies looking at how they can develop masks. Fiat Chrysler Automobiles is stepping up their uh, help on the front line for the coronavirus pandemic by manufacturing and donating more than one million protective masks per month. Production capability is being ramped up this week. Uh, they will help start manufacturing face masks in the coming weeks with initial distribution across the United States, Canada and Mexico. Face masks are to be donated to, to the police, EMS, firefighters from FCA, as well as workers in hospitals and healthcare clinics. The action is the first of a multiple global program being developed by the company throughout uh, application to help with applications uh, throughout the supply chain to help people with pieces of equipment that they may need. It's not just ventilators, it's also uh, things like face masks and gloves and those type of things that auto companies are working on developing. So uh, face masks is one of the things that they're doing to do that. Uh, I know that we talked about this earlier on, one of my friends went and bought uh, 10, and they ordered another 10, 3D printers. Now, you may have seen some of these face masks that are used in automotive plants, heavy industry, uh, which is very much like a half helmet, and then the face mask clips on front of it. Um, they are making the plastic helmet portion, and then the face mask is being supplied by another supplier. So companies actually turning around to help. What's happening to uh, car sales during this time? Uh, your cars still may break down. They still may have the lease ending. Uh, you can always call your automotive provider. And as this situation with the COVID-19 evolves and you have certain needs for cars, we can uh, you can do things like call your uh, your car loan company if you're trying to get some relief. But at the same time, uh, you can also go online and day by day they're trying to add the features to their online accounts 
to allow them to do things like uh, or allow you to do things like change your loan, to extend payments, to add them on the other end of the loan. I noticed that two companies, Jen, that are doing something cool with buying new vehicles. One is Hyundai. They brought back their assurance program. Now, the assurance program came around in 2009 when automotive sales were down 37 percent. Hyundai sales were up 14 percent because originally in the financial crisis of 2009, they said that if you bought a new Hyundai, they would make your payments if you lost your job. They brought it back for 2020. If you lose your job due to COVID-19 and you've just bought a new Hyundai, they will make your payments for six months. I think Genesis is doing that as well. Yeah, Genesis, which is uh, Hyundai's luxury arm, and Ford is doing it as well. Mm -hmm. So helping people who uh, need to buy a new car, if you have to buy one, uh, this will actually help you. Uh, The guy, uh, we have been talking for a long time about installing uh, some generators at our house uh, that run off of uh, natural gas. Uh, the guy who came to install it said, I, I got to buy a new truck. My uh, my truck has gone south and I've got to buy one. So he is looking at buying a brand new truck. We said we'd help him with that. Uh, and of course, they got people still got to go to work. They still got to have the equipment that they need. Everybody uh, making sure that they support. Auto, I, I'm pretty proud of our automotive uh, family. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hyundai and, and FCA and Ford, all these guys trying to step up and do things that we actually need. Also, talk to some financial institutions, and they're doing the same thing. If you have problems or questions, the wait times may be a long time. You may have to call. Uh, wait times may be a long time. Even for airlines who aren't really functioning right now, people calling up to cancel their vacations. Uh, I had friends that were on hold for four hours just to get through to the airline to cancel their vacation because they, they can't fly uh, at this moment in time. So, uh, but and, and airlines mostly being good with that. Uh, but if you have troubles with your car payments, uh, call your lender. If you borrow, if you bought the car and the uh, the lender happens to be the car company themselves, the financial arm, they're there, there in the same way as your banks, your credit unions are. You can always call them and ask what you can def- do to defer payments if you have a vehicle and uh, you're unable to actually make those payments at this time. A lot of time you can just stick them on the end of the loan and uh, and then just make it up as time goes on. So that's a, that's a nice thing that they're doing to try and help everybody out we still have much more to go on our show uh, we're going to be talking to david burkhalter he is from amg and we're going to talk about the gls 63 boy large and powerful that's coming up on our auto expert you're listening to our auto expert Catch up with previous episodes of the show at our website, ourautoexpert.com. You can hear all the past shows, see our automotive videos, and read insider stories about your next ride. You'll find it all at ourautoexpert.com. Some of our good TV pieces, all of our TV pieces, I hope they're all good, are on the website there. Uh, Recently, got to spend some time in Los Angeles driving an AMG Performance Luxury SUV. The S-Class, which is the AMG uh, 63S... 63 the gls 63 there's lots of numbers involved it's fast it's one of those cars that i really want to own a four liter v8 m bi-turbo engine with an amazing amount of power uh, joining us on the phone to talk about it is david burkhalter david first of all uh do you get one of these as your company vehicle not every day nick but uh, sometimes i do have 
have a wonderful opportunity to drive it on a regular basis. Well, not every day. That sounds like you're being cheated. I would have had that into my uh, personal services contract. That's the first thing I would have said. I get, I get an GLS 63. Uh, this, this, is, this is interesting because when I did my video piece about this, uh, for television, I talked about the fact that you know something like the GT350 from Ford, which is a two-door muscle car, has around 500 horsepower. This has 603 horsepower, and yet it's a four-door, three-row SUV. That's pretty crazy numbers. Yes, it is, but uh, I think it's something that people and have come to expect from Mercedes AMG and. It's certainly a vehicle we're very confident in. So let's talk about this first of all, because uh, Americans obviously want more three-row vehicles. Everybody's buying new three-row vehicles. But the sales department uh, at Mercedes-Benz have been having amazing success with the AMG versions of your SUVs. In fact, those numbers are going up and up every year. Now they're a significant portion of the business that you do in the United States. Uh, that's exactly true. Last year, 2019, for example, Mercedes-AMG sales were largest in the U.S. of any country around the world, and we accounted for about about a fourth of AMG sales worldwide. And, of course, a large portion of that is in our SUV family. Uh, SUVs, of course, becoming more popular. So let's talk about uh, this vehicle, the treatment, taking it from the regular GLS to the 63. What ends up having to happen? What does the team do to develop the uh, the AMG version of the GLS? Certainly, there's, there's a lot of different aspects that are looked at. Everyone always wants to focus on the power first. And, of course, the GLS 63 does have that handcrafted uh, one-man, one-engine, hand-built uh, approach to the power plant where you have your four-liter V8 that you just noted earlier with the 603 horsepower. But many other aspects go into the difference between making it an AMG. Everything from brakes uh, to the suspension to the chassis. We have dynamic engine mounts on this car, for example. Uh, we have many different aspects that allow this vehicle to truly encompass both worlds of luxury and performance i've had no uh no issues ever driving uh, a mercedes they've been some of the nicest cars that i've ever got to test on the road but it just seems that there's more refinement and i know everyone concentrates on 603 horsepower which of course you know that's the headline that's what you always want to lead with because it's uh, so amazing but at the same time the feeling of the vehicle is much more planted. Uh, we got a chance to drive it above L.A. in some of the hills. Uh, and the curvy roads, the blind corners, those type of things, it hugs you. It's balanced. It sits in the road in the right position. And if you have a, uh, if you have a gradient on the road as you corner, it really does feel – one of the th tests I love to do is turning a corner a little faster than is comfortable for a lot of people. And you, it seems like you felt like you were on the straightaway. And this is part of because of the suspension system but, but partly because of the tuning of the vehicle. Exactly. The GLS 63 does have AMG Active Ride Control. It's our suspension based off of an AMG Ride Control Plus system, but it's uh, it's electromechanical and it does allow for you to adjust automatically for you, of course, uh, the suspension and the balance on the car so that you're going to have your best performance uh, across a multitude of environments. 
And a lot of people try to hide the fact that uh, they have a a performance SUV or a performance vehicle. Uh, One of the things I like you've you've done for the entire lineup of the AMGs is you sort of made them look different at the front. That you gave the grill a specific AMG look. That's correct. It's it's got kind of a vertical louvered type of look to it. It's very aggressive and sporting at the same time, and it harkens back to uh, some some old races in the past where we've had some successful vehicles that have had a similar look, and it's part of our new design language, and you'll see that across uh, the majority of our AMG performance vehicles at this point in time. When you have reached that point in your life, David, when you can buy one of these vehicles, when you have... Uh, reached a amount of success that allows you to have something like this. Do you think that type of person wants a, a subtle uh, hint at it, or they want it in your face? Because I think in in this, it's very subtle. Um, it it lets people know that you're driving an AMG, but at the same time, it's not garish in any way. Certainly, and, and as you know, Nick, we do have quite a wide variety of products that we offer, and some have a more extreme and aggressive look than others. But for a vehicle such as the GLS 63 in this segment, there needs to be a balance from having the the ultimate from a comfortable and a luxurious side, but then also having your peak performance on the other end. And that's certainly a balance that we strive for with this vehicle now a lot of times uh i ended up set i end up setting vehicles uh when i'm driving them over a long period for instance uh you know a few months into one or other of the uh the different driving modes i mean for this there's comfort sport and sport plus but you also have given the driver and i know this is not specific to the gls 63 but you've given the driver the opportunity to uh, individualize their driver's settings so they can actually have the vehicle uh respond how they like it as also depending on what sort of roads they drive exactly nick and i know you've experienced it in fact one of my favorite features across our entire lineup is the amg drive unit that's the the small rotary dial that's kind of at the bottom right of the steering wheel that way i can keep my hands on the steering wheel and just with a flick of my thumb i can change these modes and one of them is the individual mode and one of the first things i do when i get into whichever AMG I'm driving for the week, is I always set the individual mode. And my my personal preference, I like having a softer suspension, but with a more dynamic throttle response and with uh, a higher level of uh, dynamics for when the car would kick in if you're having a little bit of fun through a corner. Now, this is one of the things that I always have problems with. When they make the chassis too stiff, uh, you can start to get a little car sick. Or at least your passenger Jen gets car sick when I take her, take her around corners. It's not in comfort mode because it gets so tight and she's getting tossed from one side to the other. Mm-hmm. It got significantly bigger. Uh, well, not significantly bigger, but this vehicle got bigger. This GLS version got bigger than the previous versions as well. Americans wanting a little more space now? Americans do tend to prefer to have uh, their SUVs with plenty of space, and that's something that we're certainly offering here with the GLS 63. And and one of the ways that you can choose how to utilize that space is, I know you mentioned the three rows. We can do that in a seven-seat configuration uh, with a bench as the second row, or you can do a six-seat configuration 
with some captain's chairs. So you have a couple of different options in terms of how you'd like to use that space. I do like the captain's chairs. It makes it easier for the dogs to get in and out of the third row as well. By the way, I have to tell you that the transmission in this is absolutely amazing. A lot of times driving this through LA, we'd go from heavy traffic through to freeway speeds and then back to curvy roads. And at the same time, the vehicle uh, almost didn't know it was shifting. Uh, When is it on sale? And what's the starting price of the new GLS? S63. So Nick, we're looking at sometime this summer here, kind of mid-year as far as when this vehicle will be available to the public. And our price for this car is going to be a little over 130000 The MSRP is $132,100. I love it. I'll take two of them too. Uh, David, thanks for taking some of your uh, day out to join us to talk about the new AMG 63S, the GLS version. I uh, have to say the green is my favorite color. That's probably the one I would buy. And it's definitely on my shopping list. I'm playing the lottery right now because I don't think many people are going to do that if I win. I'm in. So does that mean I get to borrow one? No. Coming up, Anton Warman. More our auto expert. <laughs> You're listening to the Our Auto Expert Podcast. Our auto expert is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can start a conversation with us about your car. If you have car questions, just direct messages at any of your chosen social media apps. Our auto expert is the name, and you'll find it on every single platform. He joins us every week. He is an independent analyst and investor. Anton Warman talks about all of those things that we want to know in the auto industry that involve autonomy, electric, and business and also COVID-19, which has become a subject that I'm sure you have to become more of an expert on, Anton. So I'm very interested to see this news that President Trump ordered General Motors to produce ventilators, but General Motors responded by saying that they were already in the midst of doing that. Does this show some tension between the two? Well, I think we shouldn't read too much into this. You know, it is a playbook from our president that he would like to put very much public pressure on some companies that he deems to be misbehaving for some reason, uh, large, small, or non-existent. And in this case, I think he had been told by somebody that instead of a GM uh, producing these things very, very quickly, as he had thought to meant within the next handful of days, uh, GM had said that it was going to start in perhaps in a best-case scenario, perhaps in about a month. And then there was an issue about price, and that made him upset. And then he uh, basically put the blowtorch after them, and that's kind of what happened. But uh, ultimately, I think that all the production of this type of equipment from multiple parties, including Ford and other entities, is basically proceeding as fast as uh, anybody could possibly make it happen. I'm actually pretty proud of uh, most of our automotive manufacturers. They're trying to find inventive ways. If they can't produce something that helps us with the current crisis, they're going out there to help alleviate some of the stress and the pain. We've talked about it on this show today. Uh, There's things like FCA, making sure that kids don't go hungry, Uh, Hyundai uh, donating money, people trying to find masks and gloves for everybody, even automotive journalists trying to make helmets and mask helmets so some healthcare workers can use them uh is is there 
I've been in many factories, as you have, I know, but when I look at an automotive factory, I don't see things there that can help. So is most of the help coming from logistics and supply chains and delivery and shipping? I'm not surprised as you are, uh, Nick, on some of the stuff, because I, I would not have thought it intuitively that automakers somehow could resaddle uh, almost to the blink of an eye and start making these ventilators that apparently we now need in the, the to the tune of a few tens of thousands of units. So I'm, I'm very surprised about this as well. And uh, I, I am not really sure that, uh, uh, you know, what, what, what makes them so special in terms of their ability to do this. But certainly automakers have a tremendous logistics uh, facility uh, in terms of their ability to pull together supply chains and to get the manufacturing going, and then it becomes a bit of a um, uh, competition between the automakers as to who can actually pull it together the quickest in terms of going from A to Z of of getting the units uh, not just uh, procured and produced, but ultimately also uh, placed into the various uh, hospital and care facilities where they're supposedly needed. You would Um, think that that would be very easy, but apparently it's more difficult than we had thought. Yeah, I'm thinking of things like uh, the logistic departments of these companies because they have massive amounts of uh, buying power. I mean, these guys who buy sheets and sheets and sheets of steel to make uh, vehicles or aluminum, Uh, they use carbon fibers and plastics on the interiors, but a lot of times they're built from third parties, so they probably have a lot of logistic buying power and are able to buy huge amounts of stuff and ship it around the country. Uh, automakers, you know, in the United States who uh, were shipping vehicles abroad uh, have probably ceased most of their production now. So the exports from the United States uh, are probably down to pretty much zero at this time. Well, automotive exports from the United States States, uh, uh, was not exactly the biggest point of the automotive industry here anyway because the major exporters were companies like BMW in South Carolina and Mercedes in Alabama in terms of exporting from the United States outside of the NAFTA region. We don't really consider exporting to Canada and Mexico to be much international. We're really thinking about uh, exporting to uh, places beyond that, such as Europe and Asia and and, uh, places south of Mexico. And uh, clearly, uh, the world took a major turn here where you may remember that three, four, five weeks ago, we were mostly concerned uh, in the very beginning about the supply chain coming right. from China with all yeah. of these little things. And suddenly this whole thing turned around and became something very different, which is now a, an, an absolute demand crisis. The, the, least, the last thing people are worried about right now is really uh, the interruption in the supply chain. That seems, uh, the automakers seem to have overcome that magically enough. Stand by, Anton. We're going to talk about some more of this coming up. You're listening to Our Auto Expert. Are you thinking about changing your car? Read some of the most informative car reports and see some of the videos. We've made them all available at OurAutoExpert.com. Some of the newest techs 
And of course, you can download the latest podcast from our auto expert, Anton Warman, on the phone. He's an independent analyst and investor. So, Anton, despite uh, most of the U.S. news, there is other stories uh, outside of COVID-19 that are happening this week. Uh, the one that interests me the most, we'll get to last, but uh, which is about Toyota's production plan. But let's start off with VW software delay for the new uh, ID series. Uh, they have had a few troubles at VW and Audi with the software that goes into to their vehicles. That's right. So we're talking here about the so-called NEB platform that is uh, coming out of the Volkswagen group that will underpin uh, well over 30 or 40 models just in the next two years alone from the Volkswagen, Seat, Skoda, and Audi brands. The very first one to roll off the production line happened in November, last November, and Volkswagen has made over 30,000 of these units, and they're just stacking up because they can't deliver them. And you ask yourself, wow, they made 30,000 units, and they aren't delivering them when people apparently are screaming for electric cars, and Volkswagen has to sell them in order to meet all of the uh, uh, CO2 quotas that uh, Europe prescribes, so without which they have to face uh, prohibitive fines. And they're sitting there because the software isn't ready yet. Uh, They're having great problems uh, with their in-house talent or lack thereof in terms of getting the software right. And at some point here, this is going to become a critical issue. And you may imagine that this is also not the best time to have a problem like this when they could have delivered tens of thousands of units in the last few months. Now, uh, maybe some buyers might even be backing out at some point for uh, completely unrelated reasons. So this is a big problem, and if they don't solve this very, very soon, it will delay these critical product launches from the Volkswagen brand, the Seat, the Skoda, and eventually the Audi brands that are all coming out in the fall. Let's let's look at those uh, quotas. Europe is very strict. China is becoming more strict, and the U.S. has a potential for being strict uh, as far as CO2 is confirmed. Uh, is concerned. Is there a likelihood that under what's presently going on with the COVID-19 that uh, governments in those three regions may relax some of those laws, or are we still on head, uh, ahead as scheduled? Well, we're in uncharted territory here, so uh, clearly anything is possible. But there are these are the following puts and takes. So uh, the specific downside here to the automakers is that most of these new electric cars that are coming out are brand new to the market, right? So these are, in particular in Volkswagen's case, with this high-volume ID3 model that will be sold in Europe. This is the worst thing that could happen for them because this was the single biggest contributor to the Volkswagen Group meeting their targets in terms of these CO2 rules. So they cannot afford this to be late. But other automakers are coming out with electric cars as well. And seemingly nobody else is having these specific problems, but uh, they had better watch out just in case something like that would happen to them too. Now, on the other side of the equation, clearly all automotive sales are down a lot starting in the last few weeks. So no, they don't no longer have to sell as many electric cars this year as they had previously planned on doing. That was the plan all along. And now if they are going to sell 20% or whatever fewer cars this year, well, then that's a 20% smaller problem. But disproportionately speaking, given the back-end loaded nature of these launches, this really is a bigger problem for them than uh, than a benefit. So, yeah, you're right, uh, Nick. Uh, we may have to come to a place where either these automakers would fail, face record fines this year uh, unless the politicians start rolling back or postponing some of these requirements. One might suspect that sort of like your 
average um, airliner uh, will soon be telling us that uh, in order for you to achieve so-and-so uh, status on this airline this year, we're going to give you an extra three or six months to get to that point because obviously we know what interrupted this whole thing. So I think that that is probably the most likely scenario here that uh, later this summer, the governments in Europe in particular would tell the automakers that, look, the goals remain, but we're simply postponing the date by which you have to uh, fulfill them. So instead of fulfilling these things by year end 2020, we'll give you to the, say, the middle of 21 to hit the same numbers. I think that would be a reasonable estimation of what uh, we can uh, expect here in the coming months. Uh, despite all of this going on, Audi is uh, still beating uh, Tesla, its Model 3, with their e-tron sales in Europe as largest EV market, Norway. That's right. This is the most amazing thing. So there are three countries in Europe that report uh, electric car sales on a daily basis. And you would think that some of these countries are completely flat on their back. And we saw this in Spain that uh, about a week ago, uh, the uh, electric car sales market in Spain, which is also much smaller than in some of these other countries, just came to almost a complete grinding halt. Whereas in the Netherlands, as well as in Norway, they have not come to a grinding halt, believe it or not. And those two markets are very different because in in the Netherlands, starting January 1st, the tax incentive really shifted dramatically to favor electric cars that cost less than $50,000. So electric cars in the Netherlands that are less than $50,000, they continue to sell very well. But the more expensive ones like the Tesla Model S, the Model, Model X, and the Audi e-tron and Jaguar I-Pace, they're not selling very well at all. In Norway, however, things just move along as they always have there for the last few years with enormous incentives for all sorts of electric cars, regardless of price. And in Norway, which has the highest penetration of electric car sales in the world at about 50% now for about two, the last two years, we're seeing the amazing phenomenon that the very expensive, relatively speaking, Audi e-tron is actually outselling the Tesla Model 3, which is a far less expensive vehicle. And that is really a standout here where Audi is selling enormous quantities of the Audi e-tron. And apparently the Norwegians just happen to love that particular vehicle. It is a good vehicle. Let's talk about Polestar, which is Volvo's electrified uh, superior performance brand. They're starting their manufacturing journey in China. Yeah, so China's gone full circle. First, they got hit by the virus a few months ago. They had a brief shutdown, and lo and behold, (laughs) they started production of the Polestar 2, which is the first all-electric vehicle in the um, in, in the Volvo Polestar constellation over there, which will be exported to Europe and North America per the current plan with deliveries to starting here this summer, as well as, of course, the local sales that will take place in China. But yeah, the production started here about a week or so ago in China. The, you know, they've been planning for this, of course, for a long time, and the pre-production already took place several months ago. So these are the actual customer units these are not some sort of early production units that will go out to some test fleets and you know close friends of the firm will drive them for a few months. No, the, the production that started here a week ago in China uh, actually are the real 100% quality tested with you know perfect, uh, have no problems with any panel gaps, none of that stuff uh, that are now going to get onto boats and be shipped to, uh, to Europe and to the United States. All right, let's talk about the story that has got me piqued as far as my interest is concerned. Toyota's production plan for 2020 through 2023 got leaked. So what do we know? 
Well, so this is more, this is actually, uh, there, there's no, no one item in there that is necessarily uh, sort of hair-raising and sensational, but I think we should start by looking at the broader perspective that despite all of this uh, virus and shutdown business, the automakers have these long cycle plans. They are five or six years long into the future with very detailed plans when they lock down every single detail five, six years into the future. And what happened to leak here apparently from some dealer meeting that Toyota had somewhere in the country um, was basically that, oh, yes, everything that we would have sort of uh, assumed would happen in some degree or another, with all of their cars being refreshed or completely replaced, uh, are indeed on plan. That plan is still there, and, you know, maybe things will change because of this virus business, but, uh, but, but the plan was there, and the company is and has been executing toward it. So just for starters, this year we're going to get an all-new Toyota Sienna, which will be apparently hybrid only so you could assume that that two and a half liter four-cylinder uh gasoline engine that we've seen in the rav4 and in the uh, highlander and in the camry hybrid will make it into the uh, sienna as well and then we're seeing that a couple of years down the road here we're going to see that the next generation uh, tundra actually will no longer get a v8 apparently the top engine is going to be a a v6 with a turbo and uh, some sort of hybridization as well so Clearly, Toyota is going to introduce hybrid uh, variants of some of their largest vehicles in the market today, such as the Sienna minivan, as well as the uh, Tundra full-size pickup truck. Now, there was some leaked information that the Venza is making its way back, but it won't be the same Venza that we have seen in the past. Do we know anything about that? Well, what we know is that the Venza was ahead of its time. I mean, that was a kind of a crossover that we are seeing consumers hungering for today. But back 15, 20 years ago, uh, (laughs) that was viewed as a very odd duck that people scoffed at. And, of course, the vehicle was eventually completely uh, discontinued because of poor sales. Well, something that is akin to that is now coming back, something that sits in between the kind of Highlander slash RAV4, slightly more off-roady looking uh, square to something that sits a little bit closer to the ground, but is not a traditional station wagon either. We might say that it's a little bit in the direction of a Subaru Outback, perhaps, but slightly uh, larger interior volume, and maybe it won't get the Benza name, I don't know. But yeah, this is the kind of vehicle that is now coming back into vogue, and Toyota was just 15, 20 years ahead of its time when it first came out, and uh, they're now getting a bit of a do-over. I'm telling you, I'm in for that one. I've been driving the GSF recently, and this is, of course, the last version of the GS uh, as it stands today. Uh, maybe that'll get cancelled by Toyota's luxury division, Lexus. Uh, at the same time, the V8 rear-wheel drive vehicle may be a thing of the past as far as uh, Toyota is concerned. It'll be interesting to see what that new Tundra looks like. Toyota sort of diced a little bit with the hybrid electrification plan. Um, I did get to drive an electric electrified Lexus when I was in Japan uh, earlier last year. Um, What do you think is going to be the status of their electric program? Is there any insight into that in these details? These details completely omit that, but there's a reason for that. Toyota is now going to be on a complete binary on and off zero to one switch here when it comes to electrification. In the near term, Toyota is all about hybrids and plug-in hybrids. They're just now introducing the first fully electric vehicle in China only. And then they're going to come out with a whole new lineup of a completely new platform, sort of what GM has done and what Volkswagen is doing, a completely new platform 
with a, a, a from the ground up that is, is, you can almost view it as a parallel company for all intents and purposes. You know, the cars are going to be developed together with their other uh, Japanese Kiritsu members, both on a, from a supplier standpoint and from an ownership standpoint with respect to both um, uh, Subaru as well as uh, Mazda. They're all joining forces in an all-new electric platform that is almost like an entirely new company that will be sold with different top hats under different brands and we, they're 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 going to hold their fire on showing that until until the moment is right. But it'll be a watershed moment when that happens. And but I think that's still about a year or so out until that happens. So I think we're going to see that sometime closer to the summer of twenty one. Although the world may look very different, do you think Toyota will maintain their position as the number one automaker in the United States with what's going on currently? Well, I mean, so Toyota is it's a very global company. When you look at the largest automakers in the world, so you have Volkswagen and, and Toyota. Um, Toyota is actually the largest by a very particular measure, and that is owned and operated factory. So whereas Volkswagen has a lot of these joint ventures in China, with Shanghai Automotive and Beijing Automotive that produce about 4 million cars per year, Toyota really owns all of their factories around the world to a higher extent than any of the other large automakers. So Toyota's in a very particular position here where it controls its destiny better than anybody else. And when you combine that fact with the fact that the Toyota is simply more profitable than anybody else, that puts them in a very enviable position. Anton Wallman, independent analyst and investor. You can see him and read his stuff at SeekingAlpha.com and our stuff at OurAutoExpert.com. You've been listening to Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles. Find all the show episodes at ourautoexpert.com. Please follow us on all social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Our Auto Expert. And message us for a quick and witty response.